Hi, everyone. Welcome to Name Drop San Diego. I'm Christy Totten. Name Drop is a podcast from the San Diego Union Tribune that's all about the fascinating people in, around, and from San Diego. My guest this week is Lisette Islas. Lisette is the Chief Impact Officer at MAC, an anti-poverty nonprofit here in San Diego. In her role, she helps locals with housing, education, upward mobility, and more. She's a graduate of UC Berkeley and UCLA, and her story is really inspiring. She's a true champion of the community and really believes in paying it forward. In this interview, we talk about her work, her life, and why she starts every morning with a dance party. Here's our interview. Well, Lisette, thank you so much for joining me on Name Drop San Diego. I'm excited to have you here. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored. So I want to mention for the listeners, I did a call out on Twitter and you are truly the most recommended person, the person that San Diego wants to get to know the most. And so <laughs> congratulations. It's hard to believe. I trust you, but uh, well, thank you, Twitter. <laughs> yeah, there's a record there. You can go, you can go check my facts. Um, but you are the executive vice president and the chief impact officer at Mac. That's an amazing title. What does a chief impact officer do? <laughs> yeah, it is a, it's a, it's a big title, right? Um, I, I think essentially what it means is I have a really cool job. Um, Mac is a, is a very large nonprofit. We are, um, we have 575 staff members and are spread across 36 sites across San Diego County. So we are literally across San Diego County, touching every, every corner of the County. And so my work is, uh, um, first and foremost, to take care of the, the success of the organization. I, I oversee the programs. Um, I work closely with the director of research and evaluation so that we're tracking data and figuring out how to evolve our programs to, to assure that we're meeting needs. And then I'm responsible for um, making sure that people know about our good work so that we can get partners, champions, sponsors, um, and, that, and that people understand what we're doing and the significance of our work. So overall, my favorite part of it is that I get to take care of our team, grow our team, make sure that there's a lot of really cool chemistry within the team, and then also bring in outside partners to continue, continue serving San Diego in significant ways. Very cool. Yeah, you know, I, I had heard of the organization. I read about it in the newspaper often. And when I was looking at it, you, you tackle so many social sort of topics and subjects, like it's like housing and, and jobs and education. Um, will you just tell me a little bit more about the work you do and, and the impact you've had here in San Diego? Yeah, thank you. I'd love to talk about Mac. So thanks for giving me that opportunity. <laughs> um, so at our core, we're an anti-poverty organization. We were formed in 1965, right in the middle um, of the war on poverty. And when the federal government was sending um, workforce opportunities down the pipeline, and so a group of, um, I would say Mexican-American activists at that point, right? Um, Mexican-American activists got together and wanted to assure that some of those workforce opportunities came to the Latino community or the Mexican-American community in, in the Southern portion of our region. And so MAC back in 1965 started as an economic development organization focused on creating job opportunities for people that needed them, but also as an activist organization that really helped to create systems change and opportunities for mm -hmm. people in, um, in the communities of, of Southern San Diego. And as time has evolved, we have continued that activist um, bent, but it really, I like to talk about it now as systems change. Um, rather than filling city hall, which we could still do, um, <laughs> we really partner with the mayor and helping 
the mayor, our, our council representatives, all of our elected officials learn what we're seeing on the ground and how policy and systems could be more effective in service of people. So we continue to try to address systems, but then we also do the direct service delivery, which means at our core, we continue to be that economic development organization. We're an anti-poverty organization. And so we address all of the problems that come into people's worlds when, they're, when they or their families are not economically stable. So we focus on affordable housing, we develop and we manage affordable housing. That's in fact, that's a very part of a very large part of what we do. We also have early childhood education programs. So we work in the field of education and we serve 2000 families, 2000 families that have kids that are zero to five years old wow. um, and also have a charter school for high school students. We also, as I said, economic development, you can't do it without making sure that people's incomes grow. So we do a lot of workforce development and training. Um, and then we have programs in health and wellness, particularly a, a, among the, um, the addiction and recovery spectrum. Mm. So we have um, recovery homes for men and women. We provide programs for people that have D DUIs, um, so lots of different programming in support of our community. That's really cool. And that's amazing about the activist background. Do you consider yourself an activist? And, and you know, what have been your causes? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I started off as a community organizer, and I think that I still see the world as a com through a community organizing lens, which in, in the grown-up version or my grown-up version of it, I was very young and as an organizer when I started, and as, as my um, career continued to evolve, I took my organizing principles um, and then applied it to partnerships. And so my career has been, a lot of it has fortunately been focused on bringing people from different worlds together so that we could all look at a problem and figure out how to solve it. I think that there's some, some very vexing problems, if you will, um, that we encounter in society. And if they were easy to solve, we, somebody would have figured it out by now, right? And so it, it takes a lot of creativity and there's no one field that, that can come up with a solution. But I do think when business gets together with philanthropy, gets together with the nonprofits or education, et cetera, and, and then we start to look at a problem, then we, we start to see what are the best strategies within each field and how do we come together to create a better chance at, at solving an issue. Mm -hmm. And so those community organizing principles of like talking to people and engaging them in an issue um, continue to, to, I think, be part of the tools that I use every day and part of the, the recipe for success. For sure. Well, I, I like what you said about, you know, doing stopgap work and helping people where they're at and then sort of addressing the system where it's at, but like the systemic changes that you're trying to accomplish, you know, what, what are they and what are some of the, you know, what are some successes you have and, and some that we're just like right on the brink of fixing? Yeah. Um, I, I have to share one story from this year. Um, Mac was one of the organizations that was called upon to, to support or to, basically move into the convention center when the unaccompanied um, migrant children came to San Diego. And um, we had essentially less than a week, a couple of days to pull together a plan to serve children, wow. children who had traveled across an entire continent and were in need of a lot of love and support. Um, and so there was no, there, there was no failing there, right? And two and days, they, that's wild. They, we had a couple of days, I, maybe three days notice, but I mean, it was like, it was no notice whatsoever. And we had to basically stand up an entire operation. And um, 
there, it, MAC was one of several nonprofits that was working there. Um, South Bay Community Services was there, Casa Familiar, The Y, uh, Logan Heights CDC. Uh, so there were several, and, and I apologize for the others that I didn't name, um, but there were several nonprofits along with San Isidro um, Health that was there to support um, mental health needs. Um, so there was lots, lots of organizations that were there working together. And again, there was no roadmap for success, no recipe that we could follow. But what we knew is we needed to make sure that we were doing right by the, by the children. And we were getting 500 kids one day and then another 300 kids another day. And so we, we were receiving a lot of kids very quickly and needed to make sure that they were, that they were taken care of and that they felt welcomed. Right. The, the one thing that we wanted to make sure is that that the children and initially they were young ladies, 12 to, to 17. And then we started um, taking the, the, the littles, as I call them, um, and they were kids five and up. And they um, very quickly, San Diego became known as the model um, mm. for how to serve kids. And um, when we think about, you know, we've had a lot of reflection on what made it successful. Um, and I will tell you that I spent some of the most emotionally, mentally, and physically challenging days of my career there. I mean, it was not uncommon to have 22-hour work days because you had to work really quick and take care of kids. The kids were there around the clock. There was no um, punching out to, to take a lunch break. Um, but when we think about what made us successful, it's that those of us that were there get up every day to be in service of community. We weren't a government contractor that had to fulfill a contract. We were, we were there because we have a mission of supporting people. And, and that very many of us that were there were also immigrants or children of immigrants. And so for me, when I would look at some of the young ladies there or some of the, the five-year-olds there, um, I saw nothing but opportunities and possibilities. And I think, you know, if, if I could get as far as I have in life, and I feel like I've had a lot of good fortune in, in having the opportunities that I've had and, and these titles, um, I didn't have the fortitude to walk across a continent when I was 12 years old, right? I, I was a middle schooler trying to figure things out. If, if they walked across a continent in search of a better opportunity and a better life, if I got this far, they could get much further. What they need is somebody to believe in them and to open those doors of opportunity. And, and I firmly believe that in 10 years, we're going to be hearing about phenomenal people in our country. And mm -hmm. somehow I'm going to say like that, she was here. <laughs> yeah, right. I know her. And, yeah. Yes. And so that, um, honestly, it was the honor of my career to, to work and take care of and support the young ladies while they were here and to, to support the phenomenal team, not just the MAC team, but all of the nonprofit organizations that served that served the children at, alongside us. Yeah, what an incredible accomplishment. I remember when that happened, being impressed at how quickly it happened, but it's it's really interesting to get a peek behind the scenes, you know, and hear from a person like you who's really dealt with it. Yeah, so. yeah. and honestly, uh, one of a very challenging time in many ways. I There were many times where I had to hide my tears Mm -hmm. uh, just because you know what you what you heard and what you saw and and I have a 10 year old myself right so I would look at all of the kids and say they could be mine and um and if my daughter found herself in a situation like that I would want somebody to love her yeah. and so I would tell the team we've got to love them just like if they're our own and so definitely um as I said the one of the biggest highlights and great honors of my career to be able to do that 
you hinted at some uh, biographical details there, being an immigrant or at least a child of an immigrant. I know that you went to Berkeley, you went to UCLA, you're here with us in San Diego now, but will you <laughs> sort of fill me in on your backstory? How did you get to where you are today? And what are those uh, biographical details that uh, you know stand out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am one of the very few uh, native San Diegans. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a rare one, right? Um, <laughs> and usually it's like if you've been here five years, you can consider yourself a native. Um, so I, I actually was born in San Diego and um, at Scripps. And then when I was about a little shy of a year old, my family moved to Mexico and we lived in Mexico for about five years. And then um, my dad had great job opportunities that took us there. But um, two things happened. He, uh, his job had moved him three times over the course of five years. And he was about to get moved a fourth time. And he wanted my sister and I, at, at that time, it was my older sister and I, um, to have a stable home, like a, a place to call home that where we you know, had the assurance that we could grow up there. And then more importantly, um, family was here. And so we came back to the United States. And, and I always think about the fact that my parents gave up a very comfortable middle-class life to give my sister and myself, and then came along my brother a few years later, um, but to give us um, a chance to be with family, but also to have educational and, and economic opportunity. And so I always felt responsible um, for making sure that their sacrifice was worth it. And, and so um, I arrived when I was at the tail end of my kindergarten year. And, and I remember, and I think that in part, this is why I do the work that I do. I remember that their Mrs. Nikoloff, my first grade year, taught me how to read it in Spanish. And then she mm -hmm. taught me how to read in English. And she believed in me and she made me feel like I was smart. And it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy with people, right? If you tell them they're smart, then they're going to start behaving in such a way. And then more people reinforce that. And so I firmly believe that Mrs. Nikoloff changed my life. And, and it's because of Mrs. Nikoloff that I started succeeding. And, and then somehow along the way, and this is important, this is again why I, I believe that the work of nonprofits and the people that give time to community really does make an impact. Um, Dr. Victor Resendez was my principal when I was in elementary school. And I don't know how he knew of me, but he was a member of LULAC, uh, the League of United Latin American Citizens. So when I was in second grade, I remember out of nowhere, it felt like out of nowhere, I got a hundred dollar scholarship Wow. Trip to the ice capades. And so <laughs> the trip to the ice capades was lots of fun. <laughs> but I also remember feeling like I came home and was like, mom, now I got to go to college. I have, oh I have a scholarship. And so, you know, it's, it's these two people who, I first and second grade, my goodness, but somehow their small acts had a huge impact on my life. Yeah. And, and then I would say the, the next thing is that I was as many, um, you know, as many other immigrants uh, will share, like, I was the first in my family to go to college. And when I started to go to college, you know, my parents wanted me to stay in San Diego and they were like, well, why, you know, why go anywhere else? We have wonderful schools. Well, summer before my senior year in high school, I got this letter. I don't know how they found me. But um, I got a, a letter from Upward Bound, a math science Upward Bound program that was based in, in Berkeley, UC Berkeley. Mm. I had never heard of Berkeley before that. But um, I went and I interviewed for this. 
opportunity and and then I got to go and spend um, six weeks at Cal and um, and I remember I took physics while I was there but we also learned about a lot about ourselves and about kind of social context and and so you know I had that experience with Berkeley and and because of it I applied to Berkeley and um, UC Berkeley was completely transformative for me. Mm -hmm. It just helped me open up my eyes to a completely different world. I studied sociology and ethnic studies because I love people. I love understanding the patterns of people and, and figuring out how to help people and what makes them tick. And certainly ethnic studies um, um, at the time was really understanding how people from different backgrounds um, experience our country. Mm -hmm. and and you know what challenges and what opportunities come with that and so i've always been very intrigued by it and and i think goodness for having made that choice every day because i think you know now our congress our country is having all sorts of conversations about um ethnicities and and um people's um how different social groups experience the country and where opportunities are and where there are not and i feel like back in the 90s, in the late 90s, <laughs> when I was doing this, you know, gosh, that the country certainly wasn't having that conversation. So um, it's it's provided a really good platform for me to understand our world and, and hopefully to have some level of success in the work that I do. Wow, that's such an amazing journey. My first question is, do you still keep in touch with those elementary school teachers and principals that sort of guided you? So no, and um, a couple of months ago, I was talking to somebody and said, Oh my goodness, I know who you're talking about. He, you know, she is my best friend's mom. So I need to follow up. I made it a point, like I need to follow up and say thank you because I don't know, you know, teachers do phenomenal work every single day. And, and then I think it's important for them to hear how they're, how, how they shape our lives in so many different ways. Yeah, yes, you have to reach out to them and find them. That would be incredible. Yes. I, I will do that and then I'll send you a short note to tell you how that went. Yes. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, okay. But also about ethnic studies, that is so cool. You were studying it sort of in the place in the Bay Area where it was created, basically. I mean, will you talk more about that? You know, ethnic studies is sort of a hot topic in California. It's going to be required for public school students. Um, you know, some people think it's a good thing. Others have questions about it. So you, as somebody who studied it, what do you have to say? I'm sorry that it's become so politicized because for me, it was a way of understanding my world and coming to terms with different realities that I've seen. You know, I, I um, heard a lot about Mexican history growing up from my parents, right? And I, um, I remember visiting places and, and, and you know, like visually, being able to, or tangibly being able to touch and see um, the places that they had talked to me about. But the history that they shared with me often mismatched what I, what I saw in my history books when I was in AP history in high school, right? Um, and, and my experience of the Mexican or Mexican-American community was so different from what I, what I saw on TV or um, the Filipinos and um, Black Americans that I grew up with, my experience in those communities was so different. Um, and so ethnic studies allowed me to understand our history through a different lens and fill in the gaps 
in the, you know, those paragraphs that should have been in that history book that I was reading, but weren't there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that, um, yeah, I guess it's, it's how I started. I'm really sorry that it's become politicized because it, we are missing a very real and important part of our history if we're not teaching kids about um, the, the rea realities of Japanese internment and what yes. it did for an entire community, right? Yeah. If we're not teaching about um, the legacy of slavery and how it has very real economic impacts today. And it's not taking away anything from anyone. It is just really enhancing our understanding of our worldview so that we could be in better service of each other and make stronger decisions on behalf of our nation. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I, this is something that I've covered and I've talked to researchers who have covered the positive impact it has on, on students and their grades and also talking to students directly about, you know, I think in the past, uh, certain groups learned about themselves as if, oh, I'm enslaved. Oh, we built the railroads. Oh, we were farm workers. And it's like, well, yeah, that, that, those things happened, you know, um, but uh, there's a lot more to the story too. So yeah, I think it is a good, a good thing that it's getting out there. And, and look, it's become part of the lens of my world. I, um, I have the good fortune of, of working with the San Diego Regional EDC on the inclusive growth work. So mm -hmm. focusing on how we create inclusive growth strategies to strengthen the San Diego, the overall San Diego economy. Well, when you look at the data, it tells you that Latinos are, are very far from where they should be in terms of college education. And black students are in the same situation, like uh, college graduation rates are nowhere near where they should be. And so if we just start to understand what undergirds that, like what, why, mm -hmm. and, and what can we do about it? It's not just going to help those children and the family that they're part of. It's going to help our overall economy. So it, it helps all of us if we, can, if we can recognize where there are gaps socially and begin to address them. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you personally work on that. Are we making progress? I'd like to think so. <laughs> um, and I would say that the data shows that we are. Um, we have a lot of work to do. And we have a lot of work to do, period. <laughs> yeah. But I am a product of people giving an opportunity, right? I, um, and, and there are a lot of really intelligent young people that um, with brilliant minds and, and a lot of um, big dreams, mm. we just need to feel like, you know, I believe in you, you're in the right, you're in the right place, let's keep moving. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I believe in you is one of the most important things that you could tell someone. So Mac has a charter school and um, our charter school is specifically for kids that don't succeed in the traditional school system. Most of our kids, with a vast majority, over 90% of them, come to us with some sort of trauma. Either, either they were um, system involved or their family members were, um, they may have had some sort of abuse in their life, something that was impeding their ability to focus entirely on their academic. I mean, if you've had some sort of big challenge in life, you can't go home and, and focus on studying, right? And, and what we know is that when we give our students the opportunity to, to work and process, you know, work through and process that trauma and then get supportive teachers involved, they succeed. Most of our kids would have dropped out of high school, mm -hmm. but, but yet we have hundreds of kids graduating every year 
And then they go on to do amazing things. They go on to Berkeley, just like me, <laughs> and, and achieve wonderful things in their own careers. So absolutely, we're making a dent in it. But we, need, we have a long ways to go. Um, right now, I think it's 43% of our households in San Diego are not um, thriving households. And what that means is, you know, having enough to pay all the bills and then sock a little way, bit away for your kids to go to school or perhaps take your kids to the zoo, you know, do some, a small, but you know, those, those small but important um, luxuries that we should all have in life. So only 43% of us have, have a thriving household. Mm. Um, so San Diego has a long way to go, but there are really, um, really good strategies in place that I think if all of us get together and really agree that gosh, this is something important that we should focus on. And there's a role for business, just like there is for nonprofits um, and education, et cetera, then, then I think we could make huge strides very quickly. Very cool. Well, I love your enthusiasm about this issue and also just the fact that you're obviously paying it forward. You know, those teachers gave you this opportunity, believed in you, and you're now doing it for the next generation and generations to come. So, okay, I have some off the wall, um, lightning round questions for you. Ooh, <laughs> the first okay. thing I read in your, <laughs> I read in your online bio that you like to have dance parties with your daughter. So what are your go-to songs slash dance moves? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd have to have the video on to see I the know, dance moves. I know, I know, I uh, know. So, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm Mexicana, right? So like it all comes down, <laughs> my friends make fun of me because they say like, all my moves go back to cumbia. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, let's see. What's our latest? We were uh, most of the time. If mom's in charge, it's Latin music. But she, you know, she's into uh, Ariana Grande. Mm -hmm. uh, what else? What have we been playing this morning? We were we were in a mellow mood, so it was like a John Legend kind of morning. But I love that, that you did the, it this morning. That's amazing. Oh my god! It's, uh, yes, we like we. And it's the drop. Like, okay, what song are we gonna like hype up to before I drop you off to school? And so. <laughs> Um, music is such a big <laughs> part of our life and joy, right? I love it. I think yeah. that would make my life significantly better if I started every day with a dance party, but that thought has never even crossed my mind. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, you could be brushing your hair while you're dancing. It all works together. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Are you a karaoke person and do you have a go-to song? Oh my goodness. So um, I have many, many talents. Singing is not one of them. <laughs> Well, I grew up with a family that karaoke all the time. And I got, I had my Madonna songs down back in the day. Nice. I, it, it takes, it takes a lot for me to karaoke nowadays. <laughs> I hear you. I I'm, I'm in the same boat. Um, what are you currently watching on TV or streaming? Um, so I was really sad when I finished watching Ted Lasso. Mm. Uh, that was my go-to happy spot. Uh, and what, what am I doing now? I've started watching Acapulco, which kind of makes me, makes me laugh. It's, it's funny story about Acapulco, Acapulco in the 1980s. I tend to watch a lot of happy, lighthearted stuff because mm -hmm. life has been hard these last two years. And so, Agreed. oh goodness, when I'm going to turn on the TV, I just want to make some, get something on that's easy to handle. I don't have to think about it. Just kind of takes right. me into a joyful place. I completely agree. Just want to laugh about it. No heavy documentaries, definitely yeah. nothing happening to no like, you know, true crime docs. No, thanks. Um, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? <sighs> or just something you've yeah. tried to live by? Yeah, no, there's two things. Um, do what gives you joy. 
right? And and I and I try to find joy in my work every day. And I think it's because I find so much joy in it um, that I found success in it as well. And um, I think sometimes we make work hard and people will tell you if I'm at the office, they know because they can hear my laughter down the halls. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, it's very serious work that I do, but it's also, if we can laugh and enjoy ourselves, we are, we're gonna be more successful in working together. Um, so do what gives you joy and, um, and that applies to all aspects of my life. Um, and then I, I have the Maya Angelou quote, uh, top of my desk. It says, if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I always, I look at that and, and I think, you know, every time, anytime that I have like self-doubt because I have a, an idea that's completely out of the box or I've never heard anybody say this thing before, I think like, well, you know, you, you have to, you have to try different things. You can't just try to conform. Otherwise we'd all be doing the same thing we were, we've been doing. And mm-hmm. that's, um, that's not necessarily a recipe for success. So. Mm-hmm. I love that. I mean, you know, do what brings you joy, bring joy to what you do. I, I want to embrace that more, but like, what's, what tips would you give? You know, how do you do that? It sounds like one of those things that's maybe sometimes easier said than done, or maybe it's simpler mm-hmm. than you realize. So like, how do you turn on that, that switch or, you know, make this change? So I love people and I love learning about people. And uh, so I guess comes naturally. It comes naturally, right? Because I, as I get to know people, I get to hear their stories and, and life is really serious. And we deal with some pretty darn serious stuff. Um, but also, you know, sometimes the titles get in the way people, I, I notice that sometimes people start to treat me a certain way because like, oh, I have this big fancy title. And I'm just like, I'm just a human being. Like I, I really <laughs> like, um, and, and I, it's something that I learned, I, gosh, even when I was in high school, I would say, because I was, um, I remember, you know, I, I was a good student and people would, uh, you know, she stuck up because she has good grades. And so I learned this like humor, mm-hmm. self-deprecating humor sometimes, but humor, right? And if you just make people laugh, it kind of settles everything down. And it reminds people like, I'm not executive vice president, I'm Lisette. And, and I want to get to know who you are. And so I, I will often tell a funny story from my world to make people feel comfortable in my space. And so that then we can, then we can get to you know, the, the importance of the work. Um, I don't know everything. Uh, in fact, I always tell the folks that I'm working with, help me see in my blind spots. We all have blind spots. So what are you seeing that I don't see? But there's a fear that sometimes comes with this title or because I've had X many years of experience that keep growing and growing, (laughs) Um, even though I don't want them. Uh, But, you know, I um, and so people sometimes when they first meet me, there's a certain hesitation, you know, to tell me what they really think. You know, perhaps they tell me what they think I want to hear. And if I can just use humor to, you know, make fun of myself and kind of put myself on, you know, take the title away and put myself on equal footing, then we have a real conversation. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I don't know, I find a way to laugh and laugh at myself or laugh at, at, at life or just tell a funny anecdote. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, people enjoy that. Yeah, no, I love that. I think, uh, you know, another answer I've heard when asking people that question is it, essentially what you said, like, don't take yourself too seriously. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Work hard. <laughs> there's, do your there's, best. <laughs> there's things to be joyful about every day. Right. And we right. It's like the world gives us what we focus on. And I like, I always tell my 10 year old, our mind is a very powerful thing. And so if we say something is really bad, mm-hmm. it will look for proof of that. Yeah. And if we say that, you know, there's, there's going to be some good in this situation, our mind will, will try to prove us right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess I always look for the good in people and the good in the situation. Yeah. Well said. Okay. Final question for you. You have been doing this for a long time. You've had a lot of accomplishments. You have the big fancy title, but what do you still hope to accomplish in the future? Ah, um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, these are probably not the big, huge answers that you want, but more travel, uh, yeah. more travel, happy place and kind of restful place and idea places travel. Um, and I, I certainly want to make sure that I'm a good mom and, um, you know, my work takes me away from after school stuff a lot. So that's, that's certainly part of what I want to focus on, but what I want to accomplish in terms of my work, um, I think, you know, we've hit the right spot as when the EDC, the work that it's doing through the inclusive growth, um, focus in bringing together people from all sectors to look at how do we, how do we strengthen the San Diego economy? That's, that's my sweet spot. I, I love that. And I feel passionate about it. It's the work that I do at Mac every day. But I just have a different set of colleagues when I'm doing it at the EDC and mm-hmm. people that I may not have ever intersected with. And so um, I am, as you said, at one point, um, trying to give back. San Diego gave me a big opportunity and has given my family a lot of opportunities. And so I want to make sure that I do right by San Diego and, and make us as best of a region as we can be. Where are you going to travel to first or next? <laughs> ah, so the family's still, like, we have all these dreams, right? COVID, it's like, it kept us I at know, home. I know, I ah, know. So um, we, we are debating right now whether we, we go to Japan, um, where my husband and I are voting for, or Paris, where my, my little girl's like, I just, I want to go to Paris. She doesn't even say <sighs> We're going Both to amazing so, options. Uh, I've never, yeah, we can't yeah. go wrong, right? I feel fortunate. Like, God, can we make one of those come true at some point? Yes, um, yes. So yes, that's a big hope. But also Mexico always makes me happy. So mm-hmm. I would say that I, I would love to take Itzani, my little girl, to uh, Mexico for Dia de los Muertos next year. Nice. Well, I hope all of your travel dreams come true. I hope you get to knock them all out quickly. But Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. This has been wonderful. And honestly, try the dance parties. Okay, I'm going to do it. It will change everything. (laughs) I'm going to do it and report back. Like I really do like with the cup of coffee, like that's the thing I need to really get me going and like put me in a good mood for the day. Cause like you say, like work gets serious really quickly, you know, and I, I I forget, I forget. Yeah, you could like choose your playlist for the day. And and I will report back when I talk to Mrs. Nicola. Please do. Please do. What an incredible story. Thanks for listening to Name Drop San Diego. I'm your host, Christy Totten, and we'll be back next week.